Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Family Wealth and Other Musings. I am your host, Becky Easton. And today I want to share an excerpt of the book, Wear Clean Underwear, a fast, fun, friendly, and essential guide to legal planning for busy parents. Um, And written by Alexis Martin Neely, who is also one of my mentors. And she has written this legal guide for parents to help you get the crucial legal lowdown that you need to know to protect your kids and also discover how to pass on what it is that really matters most, no matter how much money you have. So helping your family get prepared for a worst case scenario. And I am also giving away copies of this best-selling book, which you can access um, as well by going to bit.ly forward slash E-L-W-C-U book. And again, bit.ly B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash E-L-W-C-U book. And you can request your free digital copy um, that I've partnered with her to be able to provide and learn a little bit more. It's a fun book. It's a kind of a choose your own adventure style book. And this is story one that I'm going to share with you. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment, unless of course you're driving, don't do it then. But imagine that you and your spouse have created an amazing life together. You love your son Carlos to distraction. He's kind, sensitive, helpful, and generous of spirit. He loves music, animals, and basketball. He warms your heart and makes you smile. You suspect he's a genius. He cannot stand when you leave, not because he needs you, but because he loves helping you. When your daughter Sarah was born, your love for Carlos grew exponentially. He calls Sarah his baby. He worries when she cries. My baby is sad, he says with tears in his eyes. When pregnant with Sarah, you and your spouse worried that you would not love her as much as you love Carlos. But your heart has expanded exponentially to accommodate your love for Sarah. Even though she is different from Carlos in just about every way, You love her just as much as you love Carlos. Sarah has a mischievous sense of humor and wreaks havoc everywhere she goes. She has earned the nickname Hurricane Sarah by the time she was two. She makes you laugh and you suspect she also is a genius. You and your spouse are kind, loving, and attentive parents who make a great effort to be actively involved in your children's lives. They're your primary focus. Your spouse, who works for a prominent marketing firm, tries not to work more than eight hours a day, though business sometimes requires an out-of-town trip. You are fortunate to work from home. Because your children are your first priority, you sometimes have difficulty finding time to work, especially with the constant interruptions. To ease your burden a little, you and your spouse look for someone to help you with childcare and household errands. Because the two of you are financially successful, you can afford to be picky. Eventually, after searching for months and interviewing countless people with whom you would never leave your children, you find the perfect nanny and assistant. Though she is only 20, Courtney is mature beyond her years and has the patience of a grandmother. You hire her to run errands and to care for Carlos and Sarah 
when you need to meet with clients or are facing a looming deadline. Courtney is wonderful. She plays games with her children, rarely loses her temper, and teaches Carlos and Sarah to speak Spanish. Your children love her and you trust her unconditionally. One morning, you have a three-hour meeting with a client at his office. Your spouse is in France on business. On your way out of the door, you remind Courtney to call your cell phone if she needs you, which you always leave on vibrate in case anything comes up. When you arrive at the client's office, you learn that your meeting has been postponed, though no one bothered to notify you. You're irritated, of course, but you decide to make the most of the time and grab a quick workout. You park in the gym's vast parking lot and remember that cell phones are not allowed in lot, inside. From the parking lot, you try to call Courtney, but you receive a busy signal. You wait a couple of minutes and try calling again. The phone is still busy. This surprises you, and you make a mental note to have Courtney call the phone company to find out why the second line is not ringing. You make a choice. Courtney is responsible and can handle anything in the unlikely event that something unexpected happens while you spend an hour at the gym. You turn off your cell phone, stow it in your gym bag, and stash your bag in a locker. You tell yourself that after you warm up, you'll sneak into the locker room and try to call Courtney again. And while jogging on the treadmill, you worry about the kids. You remind yourself to stop worrying. Courtney will be fine for a little bit without you. And then the unexpected happens. An aneurysm in your brain that has lain dormant for years, unseen, hidden, and waiting, explodes. Later, the doctors explained that the aneurysm had nothing to do with the fact that you were working out. It was just a time bomb in your brain that could not have been prevented, even with prior knowledge. It could have happened anywhere. At the grocery store, in line at the bank, at home with your kids. But it happened while you were at the gym. With your gym membership, driver's license, and all other forms of identification in an anonymous locker, your cell phone turned off, and your car a needle in a haystack in the gym's parking lot. The gym calls 911 immediately, but without any means of identifying you, no one knows to call Courtney. By the time the paramedics arrive, you are gone. You never have a chance to tell anyone about your kids or Courtney or that your spouse is on a business trip in a foreign country. When you don't return home by 3 p.m., Courtney calls your cell phone, but the call is sent straight to voicemail. The meeting must have been long, Courtney thinks. Still, she worries a little bit. It isn't like you to turn off your phone, and you always call when you're going to be late. Things happen, Courtney thinks. I'm sure everything is fine, and she tries to be positive. Two hours later, she is panicked. She's been calling your mobile phone every 15 minutes. She calls your client only to discover that the meeting was canceled. And she tries calling your spouse's cell phone, but the electronic voice says that the phone is out of the service area. Courtney starts calling your friends. None of them have seen or heard from you. Courtney calls the local hospitals, but since she's not a relative, no one will give her any information. Courtney tries to stay calm around Sarah and Carlos. She feeds your children, though she rarely lets them watch TV. She sends them to your bedroom to watch cartoons before making a phone call. Does Courtney call the police or does she call someone else? And here's where we have the first of the choose your own adventure. So let's say that Courtney calls the police. So 
So because you and your spouse did not have any sort of plan in place for what Courtney should do if something like this happened, Courtney doesn't know that she should wait to call the police until your children are safely in the hands of someone who has clear authority to stay with them in the event of your absence. And when the police arrive, they question Courtney and ask if your family has any relatives in town. Courtney doesn't know of any. The police then try locating an executive at your spouse's marketing firm, but by this time, the office is closed. We'll take over from here. You can go home, Officer Matso finally tells Courtney after questioning her. What will happen to Carlos and Sarah? asks Courtney. Officer Matso lets Courtney know that Child Protective Services will be responsible for Carlos and Sarah's care until the authorities locate you, your spouse, or another family member and run the necessary background checks. Courtney volunteers to help the children with her overnight, or to keep the children with her overnight, but the authorities don't know anything about her. Leaving Carlos and Sarah in her care without any legal documentation giving her authority is a potential liability for the authorities. No, ma'am, you've got to go home now. The kids will be fine, Officer Matzo says in response to Courtney's continued pleading for him to allow the children to remain in her care. Courtney refuses to leave until Child Protective Services arrives. She packs overnight bags for your children and promises them that they'll be able to go back home the next morning. When the social worker from Child Protective Services arrives, four-year-old Sarah begins sobbing. She clings to Courtney and refuses to let go. When the social worker tries to pry Sarah's fingers away, Courtney and steady-tempered Carlos, now 11 years old, both begin crying. This is ridiculous, Courtney tells Officer Matzo and the social worker. The children want to stay with me, and I want them to stay with me. What is the problem? Officer Matzo explains that Courtney has no documented authority to stay with the children. Without such documentation, the police and Child Protective Services are legally responsible for the kids. The officer and the social worker think Courtney is too young to care for the children overnight. And when the authorities run a background check on Courtney, they discover that when she was 17 and at a party following her high school graduation, she was arrested for possession of alcohol. You need to leave, ma'am, Officer Matzo tells Courtney forcefully. He says that he needs to focus on your whereabouts, and Courtney's refusal to leave is slowing down the investigation. Giving your child a final, or your children a final embrace, Courtney has no choice but to leave. She pulls away. She watches your children climb into the social worker's car. Officer Matzo calls the local hospitals and is able to confirm your death. He alerts the social worker who tells your children that you are not coming home. Because your spouse cannot be located, your children are put in the care of a foster family, Joe and Savannah Leonardino. The Leonardinos are kind, but they have four other foster children in their care, so they are not as attentive as they could be. Carlos and Sarah are bewildered, terrified, and heartbroken and angry. Sarah is too young to fully comprehend the situation and keeps asking about you. Carlos cries each time he tells his little sister you are not coming home. Why can't we stay with Guts and Patsy, Sarah asks Miss 
Liardino, referring to your dear friends and next-door neighbors, Gustavo and Patricia Garcia. We always spend the night with Gus and Pasty when mom and daddy are gone. In fact, the Garcias think of your children as family and would have known how to care for them, but they had not answered the door hours earlier when Courtney knocked, looking for you. In the absence of any written instructions from you, neither the police nor the social workers tried to reach the Garcias. The Liardinos know nothing about the Garcias. They don't know that Patsy and Gus have two children who are friends with Carlos and Sarah. They do not know that your children have slumber parties with the Garcias' children. And they don't know that Carlos and Sarah love and trust Gus and Patsy and that the Garcias will happily provide immediate support system during a crisis. The police don't know any of this because you never made a legal plan to tell them. So instead of the first or instead of spending the first hours after your death embraced by a family that they know and trust, your children are stuck with the Liardinos. The police are finally able to contact your spouse early the next morning, but bad weather delays flights out of Paris, and your spouse is unable to fly home for another 48 hours. In the meantime, your children have become increasingly terrified and withdrawn. They think they may never see your spouse or their home again, and that they'll be stuck with the Liardinos in their four and their four foster brothers and sisters forever. When your spouse finally arrives, Carlos is so angry that he is having difficulty functioning. Sarah is petrified to the point of catatonia. The four foster children in the home have been terrorizing her. Carlos has tried to defend her, but the older boy is bigger and stronger, and the Liardinos are just indifferent. Your spouse, who is equally devastated, take your children home to comfort them while dealing with the burden of notifying family and friends and arranging your funeral. Your only living relative, your estranged brother, comes to the funeral with his wife. They sit alone, barely speak to your spouse, and leave without saying a word to your children. After the funeral, your spouse enlists the help of a child therapist and calls on parishioners and clergymen for support. Eventually, your family begins to heal. When Sarah is seven and Carlos is 14, your spouse begins dating again. You would have wanted this, but Carlos feels hurt and abandoned and as though your spouse is betraying your memory. Sarah, on the other hand, is slowly forgetting about you. She was barely four when you died, and she has few memories of you. So have you created a plan that makes sure that you remain a presence in your children's lives even after your death? Well, because today is all about bad planning, we're going to pick the option that says you did not leave written and recorded messages for your children. So despite the fact that from the first time you felt Carlos kick, you thought about the life lessons that you wanted to teach him, the values, insights, stories, and experiences you wanted to share with him when the time was right. You began to keep a mental file of all the things you wanted him to learn. And by the time Sarah was born, the mental file was bulging. 
Many times you thought about spending a weekend with your spouse discussing the values, insights, stories, and experiences you wanted to share with your children. But life was so hectic that you never scheduled time to plan to transfer your values to your children. You figured that you would just share the lessons when the time was right. Your children were more important to you than your own life, and they were constantly on your mind, but it never occurred to you that they could forget you. Though your parents died when you were a young adult, you remember them with vivid details. Sarah starts to forget about you within a first few months of your death. Carlos will never forget about you, but the older he gets, the less he feels he knows you and the more he feels he's missing. And during milestone occasions, he often wonders what you would have said. When your spouse begins dating, Carlos feels certain that you would have disapproved, even though you wouldn't have. And when he struggles with the difficult career choice, whether to follow his heart and be poor forever or follow the money, he wonders what you would have said, follow your heart. When his firstborn is and when his first child is born, he wonders what advice you would have shared with him. Learn to laugh when the baby spits up on your new suit. Sarah doesn't wonder about you at all. After all, she never really knew you. And how about your spouse? Your family is doing as well as can be expected. The marketing firm that employs your spouse provided a year-long sabbatical after your death. And fortunately, you had enough life insurance for your spouse to afford the time off. During this time, Sarah started afternoon kindergarten and the family moved closer to the children's school. By the time your spouse goes back to work, both of your kids are in school. Since your death, your spouse has been in constant drive mode, driving your children to school, doctor's appointments, lessons, and all of the other activities the two of you wanted your children to participate in. Courtney still helps around the house, but your spouse has doubled the responsibility and is chronically exhausted. One day, while driving home from work with a friend in the car, your spouse fell asleep at the wheel. Awakened by a blaring horn and screeching tires, your spouse is alive for only a split second before running into a semi-truck. Your spouse's friend in the passenger seat also dies immediately. Everyone is shocked to learn that your spouse has died so soon after you. What will happen to the children, they ask. And of course, we are going to assume that you and your spouse have not named permanent guardians. So you had considered what would happen if both you and your spouse died at the same time. In fact, your parents were together when they had died. Your father was an airline pilot who also had a private pilot's license. And though he was an expert pilot, the single engine plane he was flying could not handle the unexpected storm while he and your mother were flying on a short trip from Los Angeles to Santa Barbara. The first time you and your spouse discussed naming permanent guardian, you ended up in a fight. The second time, you ended up unable to choose between two couples. And ultimately, you and your spouse wanted your children to be raised by people who lived in your neighborhood, who shared your spiritual values, and had similar parenting philosophies. You considered which couples were well-traveled, ones who valued foreign experiences and spoke several languages. And this left only two couples, Patricia and Gus Garcia, 
and Robin and Carl Couch. Though the Couches are less affluent than the Garcias, they share your religious values and your parenting philosophy. The Garcias are the picture of culture. Their children know all about art and philosophy. They speak three languages and travel to South America for Christmas and France for summer vacations. Both couples would have made excellent choices. You would have chosen Gus and Patsy. Your spouse was unsure, but was leaning towards the couches. Secretly, you told the Garcias you wanted them to be the guardians of your children, but you never documented anything. You considered making an appointment with a lawyer to help you reach a consensus, but you never got around to it. You and your spouse did agree, in no uncertain terms, that you did not, under any circumstance, want your brother or sister-in-law to have custody of your children. Your sister-in-law is emotionally and verbally abusive to her own children. Your brother ignores the situation. Instead, he works 16-hour days, neglecting his family as it spirals out of control. Had you made an appointment with a lawyer specifically trained to plan from a parent's perspective, you would have been advised to confidentially, but specifically, exclude your brother and sister-in-law from guardianship of your children in the event of your death or disability. The document would have specified that no matter what, your brother and sister-in-law would never be named guardian of your children under any situation. You would have created one, had you known. It would have been a good idea. As soon as your brother and sister-in-law learn of your spouse's death, they hire an attorney and petition the court for custody of Carlos and Sarah. The Garcias, who know all the sordid details about your brother and sister-in-law, also petition the court, requesting custody of your kids. Your brother is the area's foremost oncologist, and your sister-in-law is a member of the PTA. She's charming and beautiful, and she's married to a prominent doctor. She sends her children to the best private school available, and she lives in a large house and values education. On paper, the couple looks perfect. Your brother's large salary allows your sister-in-law to stay at home. The Garcias are a two-income family and both work full-time jobs. When your brother and sister-in-law challenge the petition for guardianship, the court wastes little time. They, they, never met, they never meet the Garcias or your brother and sister-in-law. They simply look at the petitions and make a decision. And who is it that we think they're going to pick in this situation? Well, probably your brother and sister-in-law. So the courts choose them because they're family and they look great on paper. They don't know that they don't share your spiritual values and they certainly don't know that they don't share your parenting philosophy. They're close-minded and never encourage your children to grow and experience new things. They don't fit any of the criteria you had considered when considering guardians. Your children move across the country with an uncle and aunt they do not know. They become influenced by their aunt, and they rarely see their uncle and do not have the love and compassion they need. Carlos becomes more and more withdrawn. He never laughs. Your brother and sister-in-law value academia, but not the arts. They forbid Carlos to take art classes. He struggles through school and is teased and bullied by the other children. In junior high school, Sarah starts drinking. In high school, she starts experimenting with drugs and both miss out on the little things, the countries and cultures you wanted your children to experience, the foreign language and music lessons that were so important to you. In fact, 
your children grow into adults that behave nothing like you or your spouse. Sarah behaves like your sister-in-law and Carlos like your brother. Oh, guys, that is kind of a heartbreaking excerpt to read because they, the story in, in this, they just in no way, shape or form increased family wealth, left the world a better place, um, left the ladder down for the next generation to climb up. None of that here. And I feel like this is just such a common story. And so if you would like to get a complimentary copy of this book. Again, you can go to um, bit.ly forward slash E-L-W-C-U book. So um, you can go check that out and get a copy and you can see, um, you know, again, this was kind of a choose your own adventure style book. And um and so you can go back through and um, select the different options and pick a better way to plan by by reading. And so I encourage you to um, go grab a copy of the book. You can also get it on Amazon um, or like for your Kindle if you preferred that as well. But again, thanks so much for listening in. Um, to this just sorted tale of what can go wrong with poor planning. So I thank you for tuning in again today. We will read more of this book uh, in episodes to come. So I hope you come back. This has been Family Wealth and Other Musings, and I'm your host, Becky Easton. Have a great day.